Hi everyone, welcome or welcome back to the United Citizens of Europe podcast. This is Luca and today we'll discuss the Brazilian elections and the future of EU-Brazil relations. I'll be discussing this with Caterina Bruno and Bianca Cunha. Hi Caterina, do you want to uh, tell us a bit about you before we start the interview? So um, can we have a bit of your background? Hi everyone. Hi Luca. Thanks for inviting me here. I'm an Italian spin doctor and journalist specialized in political marketing and I'm the CEO of the company BM and Associati which works on communication and runs political campaigns. Okay, so that's going to be interesting to have your perspective on what's going on in in Brazil. So Lula won the second round with only a small percentage against the current president in Brazil, which is Bolsonaro. So it's 51 against uh, 49% in the second round. Can we say the country is polarized? Of course. Actually, we can say that this is a half victory since Bolsonaro still represents one in two Brazilians. Uh, We also see the recent protests that have been paralyzed the country as evidence that Bolsonaro's following in Brazil is still very strong. Uh, Bolsonaro knows that in order to preserve his large consensus and attempt a re-election in the future, he must disassociate himself from excessively violent demonstrations. And in fact, Bolsonaro did not concede victory to Lula. This is a Uh, quite recent news, but started the transition process by urging his people not to use violent methods, according to Bolsonaro himself, belonging to the left. That's what he said. Most state governors are on the right wing. So yeah, what does it mean for future uh, Lula presidency? For sure, a great challenge will now open up for Lula because the country it will govern will be very different from that of 2003. We can say that the right-wing parties uh, continue to perform well and have substantial congressional representation. So Lula will um, necessarily have to look to the center in order to ensure governmental stability. And this this situation means that agreements will have to be made with the conservative political leaders of the one that will find the big center who who have been allies of Bolsonaro. And this will not be an easy situation as tensions could be created, especially from the point of view of controlling the fiscal deficit. And support will also be needed on the environmental issues, which is a pivotal theme of Lula's election campaign. I would say that Lula will have to be a good mediator in managing the parties. I think that uh, it is important to underline a point here. The idea of Lula being a kind of communist is, um, however, a misconception and probably very Eurocentric wrong view because South America left is complex and Lula during his past presidency managed to dialogue well with the various sides. Uh, Lula's measures have never been based on welfareism, I would say indiscriminately, but on the contrary, he has favored Brazil's inclusion in the globalization process. Of course, and that's basically when Brazil became an important part of of BRICS. And talking about BRICS, is Lula going to be taking sides in the Ukrainian war? And if so, is it going to follow the BRICS coalition? 
Regarding the Ukrainian war, in an interview with the Times, Lula stated that Zelensky is a responsible as Putin, as responsible as Putin uh, for the war. And so it will be interesting to follow the developments on this side. However, both Zelensky and Putin congratulated Lula, wishing for cooperation and strengthening of relations between the countries. But um, given also Brazil's need to interrelate with the European Union, it is clear that on the matter of the war, Lula will have to use a good deal of diplomacy. Moving on, the thing of the of, of the thing of the international stage. I think that, given to the strong domestic issues that we have described so far, actually I do not believe that international politics will be a top priority, at least for the short term of Lula's presidency, because Brazil needs to rebuild itself internally first, and then be uh, competitive in the global market. Let's remember that Lula, aside from the judicial events that have featured him, has succeeded in emancipating 20 million people from poverty by creating prosperity within the country. And that situation also enabled Brazil to assume the role of a global leader in the past. However, we have to consider that the need to break out of the international isolation that occurred with Bolsonaro is also clear. So um, we may assume that Lula's approach to foreign policy may or maybe needs to be uh, multilateral. In the past, Lula, as you said, strongly fought for development of the BRICS countries, which involved China, Russia, but now the international scene is different. Russia and China are two global superpowers which are interested in increasing their power and influence in the region. So likewise, the dialogue is already open with the United States as well. And I would say to summarize, we can say that certainly Lula's channels of communication will be multiple on various fronts and on multiple issues. You talked about Lula, first part of his term has to be focused on rebuilding uh, Brazil from the from the inside, let's say, more than uh, the image of Brazil on the outside from the international stage. But what about the more uh, regional level? So with the um, Mercosur, do you think Brazil will be leading again the, um, the Mercosur uh, coalition? Is that going to be vital for rebuilding Brazil? I believe that Lula will aim to take a leadership role in the Mercosur, which is a reality, as we know, composed by very different civil and political backgrounds uh, from Argentina to the other countries. But if Lula succeeds in revitalizing the Mercosur, he will be, I would say, the architect of a turning point that will allow the countries of South America to truly be in uh, in block, an important interlocutor for the world superpowers. And this is uh, a very important point also in the building of the relations with the European Union.
Uh, yeah, exactly. Because the Mercosur, uh, the EU Mercosur deal is kind of like in a um, in a standby, so it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting to see how that's gonna how that's gonna look like. Brazil is yet another Latin American uh, state going left, whereas like Europe is going more on the on the right wing. Um, as we've seen with the Swedish and Italian elections, what can this mean not only for the Mercosur bloc? But again, for the whole Latin American um, countries. Uh, yes, this is a question strictly linked to the previous one. And I would like to add something about European Union, because it, it's important to notice that European Union is looking with a special concern on what is going on in Brazil for two main reasons. The first one is that Brussels urgently needs to make partnerships on issues regarding environment and trading. And the second one is that European Union needs to set its political and economic action on a wide range far from Russia and China. But uh, for the reason we explained before, we do not have to give for granted that having now Brazil a progressive government compulsory means that European Union will be the main partner for Brazil. What, we, what would seem more plausible in the immediate term is that the unblockment of the free trade agreement uh, between the European Union and the Mercosur um, can, can come to uh, a moving point because we, have to, we know that the agreement had been blocked in 2019 because of concerns over deforestation works implemented by Bolsonaro. And uh, the unblocking could occur precisely because of Lula's election and his commitment on environment issues. And um, in this um, scenario, I would say that regarding the second questions, um, this is my personal experience when I lived in South America. I remember everyone saying how their political balances were closely affected by what happens in Europe. Uh, now the trend seems to be revised reversed, probably because of the difference in issues affecting these two parts of the world. In that sense, we can say that globalization is stuck on a point. But however, I think it is also important, another thing, that in Europe, we face the raise of new political leaderships, and I'm not referring to parties, but to individual figures who manage to gain uh, important consensus. In South America, um, I'm greatly simplifying the analysis. In most cases, the pink wave is a constant return and alternation of old politicians. And this symbolizes the substantial lack of renewal within the political forces themselves. What we can say is that um, Brazilian politics is a case study, which is very different from the politics we, we mean in Europe, also because uh, in Brazil it's normal to take agreements with other politicians who are very far from your political positions. In Italy, uh, creating elected governments, which can involve different political parties and different ideologies, is still seen as uh, unconventional and weird. So this is another main difference we may underline because the two idea of thinking about governmental politics. These are all the questions that I that I had for you. So thank you very much for accepting the interview. Um, it's it, it's going to be nice to have you again, maybe for another political commentary. Thank you very much. My pleasure. 
Hi, Bianca. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm feeling very positive about the future of Brazil, very happy about the election results. Do you want to tell us a bit about yourself? Yes. So I'm Brazilian, but I'm currently living in Barcelona. I'm studying at Pompeu Fabra University for the last year of my master's degree. I'm currently pursuing an Erasmus Mundus master's degree in European politics and society. And I've really been enjoying living in Barcelona, but I also lived in Krakow in Poland and in Prague in the Czech Republic. <laughs> That's amazing. And um, I mean, yeah, of course, you are, um, uh, we can say that you're an expert in international relations and in um, Brazilian um, politics, right? Uh, because of your uh, previous experience in um, Brazilian government and uh, your bachelor's degree. Yes. So my bachelor's degree was in international relations, and I do have some experience um, in state government and in some public institutions. So I really know how things go down. Um. <laughs> in today's episode, we're going to discuss the results of the elections recently held in, in Brazil. Lula just won by, by only 51% against uh, Bolsonaro, who got 49% um, it, at the second round. I guess we can, we can say that the country is polarized, right? Yeah, no, I definitely think that Brazil is polarized. And I think that it was shown clearly um, by the election results. And I think that this polarization is characterized by the rising hatred toward anything that's remotely leftist or progressive. Um, I would classify it even as a rise of fascism and right-wing populism in Brazil, especially because in Brazil we even define the Bolsonaro's era as Bolsonarism, and we define everything that's related to that as Bolsonarism, so it became a phenomenon. Um, regarding the electoral results, Lula achieved the largest vote count in Brazilian history during this election. And it's kind of funny because the previous record was set by himself in 2006. So he's very, very popular in Brazil and always has been. But yes, it was a really, really tight vote. Um, Bolsonaro got 49.10% of valid votes and Lula got 50.90. Um, but it's, it's interesting to note that in Brazil, voting is compulsory. And it's important to note that almost 6 million people that were eligible to vote didn't vote or they, they canceled their votes. Um, currently in Brazil, the situation is, is interesting because Bolsonaro took quite a while to respond to his defeat. I believe he took over 48 hours to address his loss in the elections. And, you know, his supporters, the Bolsonarists, took to the streets. Um, they started closing huge uh, highways in Brazil. Truck drivers protested and shut down the roads. And some people were even calling for military intervention. And that's a very sensitive topic because, unfortunately, Brazil from 1964 up until uh, 1984, if I'm not mistaken, uh, had a very brutal military dictatorship. And so they're calling for military intervention. And we have a very, very dark past with a very violent uh, military regime, so which Bolsonaro has always supported publicly. 
And I think the polarization can also be seen on what each candidate represents. So, of course, Bolsonaro represents the far right. He's extremely racist, sexist, and homophobic. And Lula is the classic progressive workers candidate. So, yeah, I think we can definitely see that Brazil is polarized, I think, now more than ever. And to me, it's kind of shocking because I, I would think that after everything Bolsonaro did, after all of his deaths that are on his back from COVID, uh, we could blame him for, you know, we had one of the largest death tolls in Brazil because he refused to buy vaccines. And people simply forgot about that um, during the elections because they're so fanatic about Bolsonaro being a leader. It's, it's really shocking to me, but I'm not at all surprised at the same time. On the same day, you also voted for the state governors, and um, most state governors are going to be on the um, uh, right wing. What does that mean for a future Lula presidency? I think this is going to be one of his biggest challenges because the governors, so in Brazil, we have state elections and we have federal elections. Um, and they're both recurring every four to four years. So this, this election was for Senate, for our Congress, for presidency, and for governors. Um, so the, the sad reality is that he's going to face both Congress and a Senate full of Bolsonarists, so Bolsonaro supporters. Um, and it's, it's really disappointing because we know, like, in a healthy democracy, we know that things have to go through Congress and Senate to be approved. So he's going to face a lot of backlash um, from both, both houses. Um, back in the day, in his first term of presidency in 2003, he had the majority in Congress, right? But now, uh, Bolsonaro's party... Uh, the Partido Liberal, which is the Liberal Party, will have the largest amount of members. They have 99 total members in Congress. Um, and the situation in the Senate is, is similar. Bolsonaro managed to get 20 of the 27 senators elected um, in this round of elections. So it's, it's very shocking because we can see the power they have. They still detain, right? Not only the, the election that was a really close call, but we can see how powerful they are um, in the legislative chambers. So, yeah, I think that Lula will have to establish a relationship with the, both Congress and Senate in order to develop his projects, especially since they depend so much on his plans for economic recovery and the fight against poverty. I think he really needs to build support among the opposing congressmen and the, the governors, of course, to put this into action. So right now in Brazil, we have a cap on public spending. I really think he needs to end that. Something else he also promised, which was very controversial, is that Bolsonaro put his um, some political decisions under secrecy. And he wanted to have 100 years of secrecy. <laughs> and Lula has promised to remove that, like, 
on his first couple of days in power. So we're going to see the true criminal acts that he committed, such as the ignoring the emails from Pfizer to buy vaccines, and especially all the drama and all the, the corruption, the alleged corruption during the COVID era, during especially the, the height of the COVID era in Brazil. Lula wasn't able to participate in any political activity for some time. And um, because of the um, operation called Lava Jato, what was that operation about? Okay, so I'm going to start off with a little historical background on the Operation Lava Jato, which is also known as Operation Car Wash. And we're even going to learn a bit why it's called Car Wash. So this operation was launched in March 2014. And it initially focused on some agents known as doleros, as we call them, which are black market money dealers who use small businesses such as petrol stations and car washes um, to launder profits of crime. Um, but then again, the federal police in Brazil realized that they were onto something bigger uh, when they started this operation. And then they discovered that the doleros were working on behalf of executives at Petrobras, which is the largest state-owned petrol company in Brazil and one of the largest in the world. Um, so this, this connection between all of these crimes led prosecutors to uncover a really intricate web of corruption. They discovered that Petrobras directors had been deliberately overpaying on contracts with various companies and that they were diverting this, these millions of dollars into slush funds. Petrobras directors then used that money uh, to funnel into political campaigns because they, of course, wanted the politicians who appointed them in the first place, since it's a state-owned company, to remain in power. So the main objective was to fund electoral campaigns to keep the governing coalition in power. And, you know, it wasn't just politicians who benefited. Um, Everyone who was connected to this scandal received large sums of money, artworks, you know, expensive cars, $3,000 bottles of wine, yachts, helicopters, everything you can imagine. It was, it was a lot of money that was taken out from the company. And so according to the Operation Lava Jato, the investigations found that members of the state-owned oil company, along with politicians from Brazil's largest parties. So not only the workers' parties, um, previous presidents of the republic, uh, congressmen, uh, business owners, a lot of people were involved. And that's why the federal police considers it one of the largest corruption investigations in the country's history. So this is all very controversial because at the same time that we recognize that this was a big corruption scandal, there were documents that leaked in 2019 that showed us that Sergio Moro, which was the judge, the federal judge responsible for uh, this investigation and for judging the people accused, that he was partial in his decisions and that he was passing on advice investigative leads and inside information to the prosecutors to purposefully prevent Lula from winning the 2018 elections. Because Lula originally was a candidate in the 2018 elections, but he was prevented 
um, on, on becoming a candidate because of these allegations that led to his arrest. Um, and of course, this was scandalous because several authorities and experts from around the world reacted to these leaks and defined Lula as a political prisoner and called for his release. And Lula was finally released um, in November in 2019. And Brazil's Supreme Court officially ruled Sergio Moro as biased against Lula um, in 2021, in March. And it's interesting to note that the UN Human Rights Committee also concluded that Lula did not receive a fair trial in his judgment that led to his 580-day imprisonment. Um, the UN also concluded that Lula's political rights were violated in 2018 by Sergio Moro because he was purposely barred from contesting the elections. That's how powerful he is. That's how popular he is. They knew that if he were a candidate, he would be elected. And guess what? Sergio Moro, after condemning Lula, became uh, an ally to Bolsonaro and became a Bolsonarist. He always was. We always knew that he was. But then he, he left his position as a federal judge to become a politician. Um, but of course, after the scandal, it's, it's actually quite ironic. He began working at a transparency agency in Washington, D.C. It's important to note that Lula's arrest uh, gave way to the escalation of authoritarianism in Brazil with the election of Bolsonaro, of course, because Lula wasn't even a candidate. And Bolsonaro nominated Sergio Moro as his minister of justice. So that's how we see that this was completely biased. Exactly. So Lula has always been protective towards Brazilian minorities, especially with indi indigenous rights, uh, land rights, women's rights, and uh, queer rights. Do you think he's going to be able to carry out these promises of continuing these these protections, or is it just a promise and, and that's it? No, I think he'll definitely be able to follow through with these promises because... During his campaign, he really reinforced the discourse of hope against hate and in defense of democracy against fascism. We all know that Bolsonaro is the, you know, homophobic, racist candidate. And Lula really opposes that. He's, he's always been progressive. He was responsible for expanding public universities in Brazil, for creating quotas for Black, Brown, and Indigenous people, for... Uh, increasing representation of women and all minorities and now he wants to create a ministry of native peoples and of social equity so I'm really excited to see that become a reality um, it's it's sad to note that during the Bolsonaro government he extinguished the ministry of culture he really made it clear that he was not in favor of what he calls gender ideology. During his campaign for presidency, he even accused um, the opposing candidate, Fernando Haddad, which was also a member of the Workers' Party, that during his government as, um, as mayor of Sao Paulo, so he accused Fernando Haddad of distributing gay kits which, according to Bolsonaro and his clan, included a baby bottle with a penis at the tip. 
and this is absurd. And people, the, the worst part is that people actually believed it. I remember that during those times, there was uh, one candidate that basically had to leave Brazil because he was basically, since he was uh, openly gay, um, he was a target of a lot of hate and discrimination. Basically, he uh, didn't feel safe anymore. And he uh, left Brazil, I guess, for some time. I guess um, he went back after a while. But, but yeah, that was like a very, um, uh, let's say, hard time. Um, I wanted to know from, from you, like, how um, how do you think a, a Lula-led Brazil will look like on the international stage? So, in my opinion, the Lula era was one of the most successful eras in Brazilian history regarding um, public... Uh, sorry. Was one of the most successful eras in Brazilian history regarding public affairs and international affairs. Um, we were really head front in creating international organizations, in being represented around the world. It was truly an admirable time. Um, as soon as Lula won the elections, uh, U.S. President Joe Biden, leaders of European and Latin American countries acknowledged his victory. And this is a really important symbol because this really recognizes the fairness of the election. Because, of course, Bolsonaroists are saying that it was fraudulent and that there should be military intervention. So this really shows support in the international community for a Brazil led by Lula. And yeah, his foreign policy really is going to help lift Brazil out of that, you know, isolationist era that we were going through with, Bolso with Bolsonaro. So Lula used uh, an interesting phrase during his electoral campaign. He adapted a phrase used by Biden, and he said, Brazil is back, you know, because he wanted to compare it to how Biden defeated Donald Trump in the 2020 U.S. elections. And what he means by Brazil is back is that he wants to resume our protagonism in the international scene. He wants to resume our multilateralism uh, our participation in international conferences, our pragmatism, our dialogue on climate change, and of course, the most important issue right now, which is Amazon preservation. I personally believe that all of these international leaders greeting him are signs that, you know, his government is already off to a good start in the international stage because Lula was very popular in his previous two terms. I think that the challenge will be repositioning Brazil in the international arena, especially with a context of intensifying international competition between the US, China, and Russia, which are all historically linked to Brazil in which we have relations with. Um, and I think that this geopolitical dispute doesn't affect only these actors, but it also demonstrates the potential to drag the international system into situations of war and diplomatic and geoeconomic conflicts, such as the Ukraine war. So Bolsonaro's foreign policy was an ideological disaster. Um, he had an unconditional alignment with Donald Trump. It's interesting to note that both Trump and Netanyahu from Israel made videos supporting Bolsonaro. And they were very well received by his voters. Of course, that 
generated an animosity from European countries because of his environmental agenda. And it also distanced us from China and from relations even with Latin American countries. Um, the result was basically Brazil's international isolation, which generated diplomatic and economic problems that I believe we'll still be facing in 2023. And so Lula will basically have the task of using his experience, his charisma, and his international prestige to lead a sovereign Brazil um, into a reinsertion in the global scenario. And I think that he really needs to defend national interests and to contribute as a stabilizing political force to peaceful resolution of conflicts between these great powers. And I also think that Brazil needs to resume and deepen its relations with the countries of the global south. We traditionally are non-aligned. We traditionally have a reciprocity um, policy used in external relations, something that Bolsonaro ended, for example, with requiring visas. So just as an example, Brazil has always been reciprocal when asking um, tourists to present visas when visiting our country. So if I as a Brazilian need a visa to the US, an American would need a visa to enter Brazil, but Bolsonaro ended that, which to me was completely unnecessary. And Lula really needs to reposition Brazil as a strength within Latin America um, and to really strengthen our participation in BRICS, which he helped found which is uh, an international organization formed by Brazil, Russia, India, China, and South Africa. The members of the BRICS countries represent over 40% of the world's population. And yeah, I think that he really needs to exert influence over uh, the, the influence that we used to have in the international arena. And we should really be committed to our role as a leader of non-alignment and to be mediate to be a mediator in face of conflicts. And yeah, Lula defended the resumption of his motto that really marked his first governments. And we had a motto that was quote, a proud and active foreign policy. That's how we called our foreign policy uh, during the two first Lula terms which actually represents a greater prominence on the international scene and in multilateral organizations. And I fully defend that. Brazil is yet another Latin American state going left, whereas um, Europe is going more um, towards the right part of the political spectrum. What can this mean? I think it's a really interesting change that we're seeing regarding these two different regions. I really think that people in Latin America wanted a change. And they were really reminiscent of when left-wing governments were in power. They, of course, Bolson I personally think that Bolsonaro got into power because people also wanted a change from uh, center or left-wing parties that were in power before. So I think all of this is prompted by a, a change in the status quo but in different ways, of course. In Europe, uh, especially with the recent election results in Italy and in Sweden, I think that the far-right populists and people who, to me, are on the spectrum of fascists 
are really using um, the argument of, you know, against migration, defending the social welfare system, against um, being taken over by these migrants, uh, defending their traditional culture, all that, blah, blah, blah. But in, in Brazil, I think it's a bit different. Um, I think that they really also touch upon, you know, traditional values and everything. Uh, and I think that's what's the stronger argument in Latin America. Uh, Brazil is a huge country that is very conservative still. We've never passed any law um, allowing abortion, for example. Um, and that speaks a lot to us because in other Latin American countries, such as Argentina, which is also very conservative, they recently passed a law um, permitting abortion in other cases, um, which, which are different than the ones that are included in Brazilian law, which is only in the case, I believe, of sexual assault and if the baby is born with, with a certain disease. Um, and yeah, I think that it's, it's quite odd seeing that both regions are going kind of in opposite directions, but I think it makes sense because it's a cycle, right? Um, people get reminiscent and nostalgic of governments that they see as being successful. And I think that also happens even with Bolsonaro supporters. Um, and that's why Brazil is so polarized, because according to these Bolsonaro supporters, oh, the best time was during the military dictatorship, because we really defended family values, and Brazil was growing, when, when actually that was a lie. You know, the military dictatorship in Brazil tortured pregnant women, and was basically a disaster for human rights. And so I think this is also very polarizing still, even though the left is in power in Latin American countries, such as in Chile and Peru and in Colombia, Argentina, I still think that the conservatives and the right-wing people are you know, ready to change, um, ready for a change in the next elections. I don't think they'll be going anywhere anytime soon. Unfortunately, Bolsonarism in Brazil will stick around for a while. With what's going on in Ukraine, do you think Lula is going to be taking sides? Because as you said, uh, countries like Brazil are usually non-aligned, which that changed with Bolsonaro. But do you think like Lula is going to be taking sides? What's going to happen with, with Lula? What is Lula's take on the Ukrainian war? So I think this question is actually still a mystery for all of us. Um, what we do know is that during the... Uh, vote in the UN Security Council while Bolsonaro was still in power. Um, Brazil abstained from voting on the resolution to condemn the annexation of Ukraine to Russia. So our current position is basically neutral. But Lula mentioned uh, that the money spent on the conflict could feed 900 million poor people around the world. He also said in a very controversial interview with Time magazine, that both leaders were responsible, both Zelensky and Putin were responsible for encouraging the war instead of focusing on negotiations. So that's, that was pretty controversial. 
Um, but the, something else that's interesting to note is that both Putin and Zelensky congratulated Lula on his electoral victory. Russia has always been a pretty strong partner uh, to Brazil in economic terms and in political terms, especially because of BRICS. And Ukraine also, Zelensky specifically, uh, recognized Brazil as a long-term friend of Ukraine and the Ukrainian people. So it is a kind of a tricky question. Uh, I do think that he is going to continue to follow a non-aligned movement, and he's probably going to take a position as a mediator within this conflict. I think he, he just wants it to be over. But the problem is that if he takes a side, then that would mean a really complicated result on Brazilian and Russian relations. And I don't think he wants that. So yeah, it's a very tricky question. And I think we'll have to wait and see what will happen. Can we expect an increase in EU-Brazil relations with the Lula-led government? And um, especially, do, do you think it's, we're going to be able to finally start again the process on the um, Mercosur-EU agreement? Oh, I definitely think so. Um, and it's interesting to note that the president of the European Commission, Ursula von der Leyen, congratulated him as soon as he won. And during her congratulations, uh, she highlighted the importance of food security, climate change, and trade um, as areas of cooperation between the EU and Brazil. The ratification of the EU and Mercosur free trade agreement is one of the big outstanding issues for both the EU and Brazil right now. And I do think that Lula signaled willingness to resume partnerships with the EU and he did make it clear that it should be done on new bases and that the free trade agreement between the EU and Mercosur still needs to be re renegotiated. So during his electoral campaign, Lula had promised that if he were elected, that he would close this agreement between Mercosur and the EU by the first half of 2023. So that is a promise that he made during his campaign. And he thinks that this agreement will take into consideration the need for Brazil to industrialize again. That's, uh, that was the expression he used. And another campaign promise made by Lula was a strategy of zero deforestation in the Amazon. And this is a milestone that no Brazilian president has been able to achieve so far. So this is going to be a really big challenge for him. It's interesting to note that Norway announced on Monday, the day after Lula won the Brazilian elections, that they would unblock the Amazon fund of about $2.5 billion, which was paralyzed since 2019. And from what I last saw, Germany is also working to unblock that fund. And we can see that this is really showing that these countries support Lula and know that he will make the right choice regarding the Amazon and deforestation. Um, and Lula, during his victory speech, really reassured world leaders and Brazilians his strategy regarding the environment. And he said, quote, Brazil and the planet need a living Amazon. A standing tree is worth more than tons of wood illegally extracted by those 
who think only of easy profit at the expense of the deterioration of life on earth. So it's really um, a good sign to see, especially in face of the destruction caused during the Bolsonaro government with Amazon fires and with illegal extraction of wood. Thank you very much for your contribution. These are all the questions that I had for you. Hope to have you again for another political comment and hope to hear from you soon. Thank you so much, Luca. I'm glad to be a part of this interview. We really hope you enjoyed our episode. And if you enjoy what we do, you can follow us on Spotify, on Instagram, on Facebook. And please give us a good rating because that will really help us. Thank you.